You're listening to Ants Talk. My next guest has lived in many countries across four continents, has had a gun to her head, a knife to her chest, and has carried over $100,000 in her socks across the city of Buenos Aires. She's lived this adventurous life ever since hitchhiking from a village in Bavaria to Amsterdam at the age of 16. Let's delve more into her adventures. Welcome to the show, Regina Huber. Hi, Regina. How are you? Hi, Anthony. Well, it's so great to be here. Thanks so much for having me today. Likewise. Thank you. When I put the call out for um, some guests for the podcast and I got your email, I was just like, oh, my God, what a story. <laughs> I have many. I have many. I <laughs> know. Uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating. I can't wait to delve more into it. So, Regina, tell us more about the story when you had a gun to your head. Well, the gun to my head, actually, I've had that. I should say that was even twice. But I can tell you a quick story about one time I, uh, when I still lived in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, that was before I moved to New York uh, about eight years ago. And uh, I had a friend visiting from Germany, and she brought some cash. And we went to the bank, uh, and we had the cash exchanged but they're not allowed banks to do that in Rio de Janeiro and of course you know some of the gangs know where those banks are and then my guess is also they have some probably informants in the in the bank itself and uh, so we were walking outside with all that uh, cash and I gave her half I gave you know I put half of it into my pockets actually and uh, uh, so we were walking and we were walking to a restaurant and I to, you know told her all the security measures that we had to observe not take a taxi outside the bank and blah 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 you know the typical thing uh, mm. in, in Rio de Janeiro because I'd lived there for a while so I knew how to behave but the thing is we were just walking into the garden of that restaurant. My friend was was walking in front of me, and I had the other half of the money in my pockets. And there was this guy all of a sudden from a motorbike, and he came up to me and he grabbed my arm and he said, "Give me the money!" <laughs> and yeah. I said, "Okay." I just gave him my my back actually, and he he went with that. So he grabbed my arm. I had the gun to my head, and he said, "Give me the money." And all I could think and do at this moment that's have my back and of course all the money was in my pockets <laughs> that is hilarious he's probably still wondering what happened <laughs> i know poor guy oh that's that's and what about the knife to the chest tell us about that story. well that was yeah that was much earlier in my life that was um when i lived in spain in madrid and one night i was walking home and you know i i I didn't really feel particularly unsafe in madrid ever so i just was walking outside of it was pretty late i was walking towards a corner and i noticed that i didn't have enough cash for a for a cab and at the time you know it wouldn't have been a big amount and and usually we'd be paid by cash so so what happens is i I stopped by an ATM, which you would never do in Rio de Janeiro. And by the way, you couldn't even do that because the, they are closed after 10 p.m. or something yeah. like that. I can't even remember. But but in Madrid, you could use them all night, as 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 in New York or anywhere else, right? So so I um, so I stopped by, and uh, I was just going to get out some money, and there's a guy all of a sudden behind me with with a, with a knife and. But I just, I don't know why, but I just started like screaming and shouting and running to the, to the corner because I knew that there were a lot of cars driving by. I mean, they, nobody even noticed who was driving by. 
But, you know, this is how I escaped the situation because you got scared and you left. Mm. It's funny. It's funny in those situations, how it makes you feel after it, how it really does affect you. And then also fast forward to now, how we retell the story. It's so casual. Um, I remember myself, I actually was in Sydney and I was walking home from work and it was, you know, it was, it was quite dark. And I actually had, I think it was about $2,000 in my bag because I was about to move into a new place the next day and that was my bond. Um, and I remember that I walked past, I mean, I walked this street a million times a day and just happened to walk past a, a hotel that was on the street and there was a little laneway next to that. And all of a sudden these two guys come out from the laneway walking behind me and then one comes up next to me and says, oh, give me some money, give me some money. And I was like, I don't have any money. And he was like, uh, you know, you do give me some money. And I was just like, no, I don't. And then all of a sudden he's pulled me into a headlock and it's got a knife to my throat. And it was almost like a dream. Like it was just such a weird, mm-hmm. I mean, it's never happened to me. So it was such a surreal experience. And I remember that I'd learned this one move bring your hand up behind your, your, your face and hit them in the face. So I did that. Um, and luckily enough, he dropped the knife and, and wow. I got the chance to run. And then I ran into the middle of the road and they grabbed my bag that I had around me. Um, and we were sort of doing almost a twirl thing in the middle of the street. And then he pulled me in and he starts again, got me in a headlock and starts punching me on the top of the head. And then luckily a whole group of people saw this and started running down towards us and they thankfully came to my rescue. Um, But I was so shaken after it, especially because I was also injured because the smacks in the head and stuff like that. Um, But now I tell the story and it's just, oh yeah, you know, that just happened. (laughs) I know. I mean, I was also, you know, in my back, there was of course also a phone and there were the keys to my home and so on, but gladly we had security at the building. So uh, you know, in hindsight, it always is very, very different, as you say. Mm. You know? And at the time, it always feels extremely invasive, even though you might not get hurt, which wasn't your case. But, you know, it feels very invasive. Yeah, yeah. And, very and I think so. that's also somebody really walks into your energy in that way, right? So that's the other piece of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. And so the $100,000 you had in your socks was to buy a house. It was, and uh, it was actually more than $100,000. It was several hundred thousand dollars. So, uh, yeah, because, you know, I mean, um, the house I bought in, in, in Rio de Janeiro, uh, sorry, in Buenos Aires, that was in Buenos Aires, um, and it was a hot summer day, and I, I was buying this house because I was going to open a bed and breakfast. So I just moved from the U.S. to uh, where I lived in California at the time to, to Argentina, and um, I'd been to Argentina before, and that was also one of the reasons why I wanted to go back. And then my plan was to open a bed and breakfast, and so I found a house for it. But you know, buying it was a little bit more adventurous than than I thought. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I found out, of course, that I had to pay in cash and uh, uh, in dollars. So you know, uh, so I was I was walking from this place where I picked up my money to the, to the seller's bank because the way it worked at the time, and it's, I guess it still works that way. I don't know exactly. I haven't asked 
recently, but it, you, you were literally sitting around a meeting table at a bank and pounding the dollars. Yeah, so there were several people, uh, at least two people for each party so that, you know, no money could disappear, of mm. course. But, but that was a process to pay for real estate. And, and so, you know, uh, I had just moved, uh, as I said, from, the, from California, uh, from, I'd left my well-paying job at BCG uh, behind, and, and, and I, I went to, to Argentina to a different continent with this dream in my, in my head, yeah. you know, so in, and in my heart. So, so, yeah, so I had to somehow take that money from one bank to the other, and it wasn't supposed to be safe to take a taxi when you, when you picked up the money. So my only way of doing that was on a hot summer day in Buenos Aires, walking around in long jeans and socks and putting the money into my socks. <laughs> that's and so funny. That's how that worked. And then, you know, uh, it was risky. So one wrong move and all that money, all my savings could have been gone. But, um, but it worked out. And I figured, you know, sometimes when we want something really bad, yeah, indeed, definitely. Now, how did you come to be hitchhiking at the age of 16? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's also sort of an interesting story because I grew up on a farm in a small village in Germany. And actually, as a, as a little girl, I was extremely shy. Now I'm, I, I speak, you know, I go out and speak all over the world, but that was not me as a little girl. Mm. Uh, but uh, deep down, I always was tremendously curious and I had this adventurous spirit inside of me. And so I would always dream about other places, other countries on the, you know, on the planet, places like Italy, Brazil, New York City, and also what life would be like in those places. Mm. And I even remember that at the time, Chile was often in the news because of the dictatorship at the time and all of that. And, uh, and, and so I looked up all these places that I saw in the news and we had this old globe at home when I would look at that old globe and, and dream about places uh, like, you know, where I wanted to travel to in the future. And of course, at the time, you know, we never traveled for a vacation because my parents had a farm and so never had a, they basically never had a vacation. Yeah. So we couldn't really travel. Uh, and uh, so at the age of 16, I decided to, to take my travel destiny in my own hands and I hitchhiked all the way to Amsterdam. And that was with, a, with another friend, uh, 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 another girl, she was actually 18. And uh, we traveled, we, we hitchhiked to Amsterdam together. And uh, yeah, so we started out on a rainy day. I remember it as if it were yesterday, on a rainy day on, <laughs> the, you know, in, in, in a village, <laughs> started the hitchhiking. And it took us probably two days to get to Amsterdam. I remember we had five days or so available and we, we spent at least three days on the road. Wow. But it was a very interesting experience, partly also on trucks. And of course, you know, at the time there were no cell phones. No. So there was no way to communicate while we were on our way to Amsterdam. And when we finally got there, we would find a payphone. Yeah. Uh, there, were all, there was also not even euro at the time. So we had to exchange money first and then find a payphone and call home. And I know that. So that was that adventure. It's incredible. Um, the sense of adventure that we had as youth and especially back in the times when we were young, it, it was such a different time. And I mean, mm -hmm. I know myself that 
some of the things I look back at what I did and I mean, I hitchhiked myself once. I mean, it was only home from a nightclub, but (laughs) just the, just the thought of actually doing it. It's just like, a, where was my brain at? But B, at the same time, I'm glad I had that sense of adventure because it it was things like that, that sort of taught me don't ever hitchhike again. <laughs> well, I we hitchhiked all the time actually because there were no buses. You know, I grew up yeah. in the countryside, grew up in a rural area. So the only buses we had were for school. So there yeah, was yeah. transportation to school, but there were no buses, and we had bikes. So we 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 were you know in the summer it was not a problem. But in mm. the winter, we didn't have any type of transportation. We depended on friends, and if, if they were not available to pick us up, we hitchhiked. That was very common at the time. Yeah. Well, even back when I hitchhiked, it was so common. I mean, and the only reason it really stopped is that um, we did have a huge time where hitchhikers were being picked up and murdered by serial killers. Mm. I mean, really, that put a stop to it here. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was definitely risky. I mean, I also had an unpleasant experience once, but, but the guy you know, let me go. And, but otherwise it was always fine. And most yeah. of the time we were, there were at least two of us. So most of the time, always. but, but uh, yes, yeah, so, but, but then, you know, the other way of traveling, we were talking about travel earlier, what I really enjoyed is also backpacking. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you ever did that, but I backpacked, for example, with my sister, my youngest sister, I have uh, four siblings and my youngest sister and I backpacked and uh, through Central America in 2001 for, for a few weeks so yeah it's definitely so. it's definitely a, a great way to travel especially when you're young mm-hmm. yeah and it's funny because we actually started out right one right now I'm, I'm currently in mexico um temporarily i'm based in new york but um so i i, I was i was supposed to move when the whole uh, coronavirus thing started so oh. um and I was supposed to also travel quite a bit to Rwanda, Kenya, Nigeria, South Africa, and so on. So I had all these travel plans for the spring uh, to speak and teach. And um, I hadn't looked for a new apartment yet. And so I said, okay, I better get out of there before the airports close. And I'm going to be homeless without an apartment because there are no showings, right? So we didn't know what, what was going to happen. So I came here to, to I had an invitation actually. And I came here to Mexico temporarily. And it's funny because that's where I, uh, together with my sister, all these years ago, we started our our backpacking trip. Wow. And I just talked about It's funny. I've got a friend that lives in Mexico and it doesn't look Mm -hmm. like a too bad a place to be stuck. (laughs) It does not at all. It really is beautiful here. This is Anne's Talk. Now, also, you won a lawsuit against the corrupt department of the city of Buenos Aires. Tell us about that. Yeah. So when I opened my bed and breakfast, you know, I had an investor's visa. And what that means is I had to open a, a bed and breakfast uh, or a business, uh, which was my bed and breakfast, within 12 months. So I had to build up the house, which already is a bit of a challenge because a lot more things were done manually than, you know, back home in Germany, for example, but so I, but I got it all done. It was already, I also had to employ at least one person within the 12 months. So I did that. I employed a person and I was ready to open and I opened. And the thing is, they don't give you a license within that time. 
So I did all the paperwork, but then, you know, it cannot fulfill both uh, prerequisites, both conditions at the same time, because it's just not possible. So what happened is, and I know many of the other B&Bs didn't have that either, uh, because they, I was talking to other owners, right? And they said, well, yeah, we're still waiting too. But I also found out that a lot of people probably, although they didn't say that, they probably were paying the, the, the inspectors off. Mm. So one day the inspectors were at my house and actually I, my place wasn't even um, big enough to fall into the category. I actually had one room closed. I, I, I technically would have had four rooms for rent. Uh, so two double, two single, but I had one closed so that I wouldn't have a problem because I found out that if I only rented three, I, I didn't actually need a license. Wow. So one day these inspectors came and, and they said, now, you know, because they come and they want money, basically. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've lived, you know, in different places where it's a little bit tough with corruption. Uh, and, and so um, I didn't let them in, but then they found me. And I went to the department. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, actually, but at the city of Buenos Aires. And I said, well, you know, why am I being fined? And they said, well, you have to pay this fine, blah, blah, blah. I said, I didn't say anything, but I went home and I said, I'm not going to pay this fine. And I actually um, contested it. And, and uh, it turned out that I had a, a female uh, judge who was not at all into corruption. So when she heard the word corrupt or pay off or something like that, I can't remember exactly what I said, but she, she listened up. And, and that was really my... My, my chance. Um, I did have a lawyer, but frankly, the lawyer didn't do this work. These lawyers had a lot of work because a lot of people needed them, so they didn't really <laughs> much work for yeah. them. <laughs> but, but I did my own work, and so I won the lawsuit, yes. That's amazing. Very proud to say I never gave in once to corruption, although it was tough oftentimes. I bet, I bet. Now, what do you do with yourself these days? Well, I have a coaching, speaking, and training company, to, uh, and, and it's called Transform Your Performance. It's based in New York City. I work um, also in the field of diversity and inclusion, and I lead a diversity and inclusion roundtable as well in New York. So uh, my uh, specialty is around transformational leadership coaching, I also bring a multicultural background to, uh, to this work, yes, and a lot of different passions that flow into this work as well, such as, strangely enough, dance, uh, which has taught me a lot about leadership, a lot about teamwork, but also a lot about energy and about nonverbal communication, mm. uh, business presence, and all these different things that are so important in business for anybody. I have been working a lot more with women than with men, but I also do work with men and I've also done some uh, pro bono projects with youth. Um, in the last two and a half years or so, I spent uh, about nine months on the African continent in several different countries. And yeah, I love to inspire audiences. I love to share my wisdom and of course the, the coaching and the diversity work. It's actually amazing. Um you mentioned dance and movement there, and I, I don't think people realise how important it actually is. Um, it's funny, 
when I was very young, I did ballet and I did jazz uh, dance myself. And from that point, it, it was the way I always held myself. I have people come up to me in the street and say, my God, your posture is amazing. And even a little old lady that had that disease where she was huddled over and bent over came up to me one day and said, your posture is beautiful. Don't ever, ever sway from what you're doing because you'll end up like me. And I always remember her saying that to me. And it's funny because ever since that point, people have always assumed that I'm a very confident person. And I'm really not. I'm actually quite shy, but I've got a great bravado and just that ability to hold myself. I think it's it's very, it's it's been essential in my life. It really has been. It makes a difference for your presence. It makes a difference also for your charisma and and even just the posture itself has has an impact as we now know also through Amy Cuddy's studies, right? I mean, I already knew it through my holistic studies. I also study a lot of holistic healing sort of on the side. But, uh, but you know, she proved really that that our, our passion, our gestures also uh, have an impact on our mind and mm. how we feel and how we show up and whether people, and how confident we feel and all these things, right? So so it's, it's really, really important. And I didn't grow up with dance uh, because I was in that little village, right? And at yeah. the time, there was no internet. Uh, but I remember I always liked seeing any dance shows. There was not that much at the time, but something there was on TV or, you know, anything that slightly looked like dancing. And uh, later on, I started dancing much later, really um, in my early 20s, I should say. And it all started with Latin dancing. Then I, of course, lived in Argentina. I translated books on Argentine tango. I did Argentine as well. And then, of course, in Brazil, all the different dances from Samba Lupe to Gafira to, you know, uh, Zouk and all these different dances that they have there and the Coho and whatnot. They have all these different dances, also Afro-Brazilian and, 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 and Afro-Cuban and then in, 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 in California. And then now I mostly do African dancing and Caribbean dancing and um, and more so, but then a little bit of West African traditional. There's so many different African dances. Oh my God, I just, whenever I travel, I, I look out for that and I'm always yeah. surprised. But, um, but, you know, now what I personally love for myself is especially Congolese and Domboro dancing and also, um, but, you know, the Afrobeat. And sure. Dance at parties and so on. Yes, and and some Caribbean compa and so on. Haitian dancing. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's 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 such a beautiful world, the, the world of dance. It really is. Mm-hmm. Now you've also written a book titled "Speak, Stand Out, Shine." Tell us more. Yeah. So it's called "Speak Up, Stand Out, and Shine," um, and uh, it's on Amazon as as Kindle and as print. Uh, the book is really a result of an experience that I had in Brazil. Before I moved to New York, I had a very painful experience with my uh, with the, with the um, business I had in Brazil where I had a fraudulent business partner, which in the end cost me my business and a lot of money and all my self-esteem. Yes. So when I moved to New York and had to build a brand new network, 
also after eight years of speaking mostly Portuguese and Spanish um, and coming back to the U.S. and now speaking English again. Mm. I, I'd lived in the U.S. before, but three and a half years, right, in California. But, but now I was coming back after all this time, building a new network, figuring out what was going to be next, building a new, you know, first of all, a new idea. It wasn't even a business yet. Uh, and, and having to speak about it while networking and then in front of groups to really pitch my business, which was still in its baby shoes. And all of that was very challenging. So I had to come up with some tools and how to really uh, show up more powerfully in those situations, how to feel more confident and how to really also engage my audience uh, so that they would actually listen to me. And um, I came up with some tools to mentally, physically, and energetically prepare for challenging situations in business, such as speaking, you know, whether it's online as we're doing right now or offline, uh, whether it's in networking situations, in meetings, whatever it is, and, and those tools I eventually um, compiled into this book. And uh, it's apparently helped a lot of people. I still use those tools. Not all of them all the time. They're simple, they're easy to learn, and they're effective. That's fantastic. So, Regina, tell us, um, or tell the audience, where can they find more about you? Yeah, sure. So, my website is the same as, a, as uh, the name of my business, transformyourperformance.com. I'm also on LinkedIn as Regina Huber. And I'm on Facebook with a page, Transform Your Performance, same name as a business. I'm also on Twitter as Transform Dance. And on Instagram, Regina Huber, NYC for New York. Um, I'm most active, I have to say, most active uh, professionally on LinkedIn. And uh, of course, my book is on Amazon, Speak Up, Stand Out, and Shine. And... Uh, yeah, that's me. That's fantastic. Regina, I really appreciate you chatting with us. I just think that your adventures are absolutely mind-boggling and just so interesting. I absolutely love hearing about them. They're fantastic. Well, thank you so much for having me and oh, it's for my pleasure. doing this also. I, I definitely also want to listen to many, many more of your podcasts. They seem amazing. Oh, I've had some amazing guests and I'm having some more like yourself coming up. So definitely tune in. And of course, if you're going to tune in, also subscribe listeners because we have such fascinating guests just like Regina coming up. Thank you again, Regina. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And thanks to everybody who has been listening. Thank you. Speak soon. Speak soon. Ants Talk. It's like Oprah, but not.